The subject of this evening's lecture is the purpose of human life. It would appear that most people in the world don't really consider what the purpose of their life is. They just live and act and go along with life in the way that everybody else expects them to do so. They don't consider why I'm doing what I'm doing. They just think, well, everyone else does like this, so I should also. In every society there's pressure, social pressure, on everybody else to conform to the cultural norms. And in the modern world, although it's not specifically taught in schools or the colleges what the purpose of life is, and if you ask people, they'll say, well, it's up to you to make up, to find out what do you think, you have to find your own purpose in life, but practically the whole way of life is pushing everyone to work hard, get money, enjoy life, and not to think very much about anything transcendental or spiritual. Religion is considered, yeah, that's okay. A little bit is okay. Not too much. But questions like the purpose of life, if you ask most people, it's just... It's maybe too big a question for them to, in, in the small-mindedness, to even think of. Is that, well, I'm too busy uh, working to think about why I'm working, or what the purpose is, or the, what is the purpose? Well, purpose is to get some money and enjoy. Most people, uh, the way modern life is set up, most people don't really think about it very deeply at all. They just go on with life. But in Vedic culture, advanced life or real human life begins with this point. Vedanta Sutra. Atato Brahma Jignyasa. Now we have reached the human form of life, we should inquire into the absolute truth or spiritual reality. Again, what is the absolute truth? What is spiritual reality? The modern society, which is actually uh, running on demoniac principles, they have succeeded in making people think of this most important question, which is actually the really only important question in life. They've succeeded in trivializing it. You know, spiritual life, oh, that's for foolish people or crazy people. Or religion, oh, that's not very important. That's foolish. They even make propaganda that religion, no, that's foolish, or that's all cheating, or something like that. It's very interesting that uh, different Western atheists, their concepts of God and religion, which have very much influenced the whole world. Of course, Darwin was very influential. Indirectly, I mean, he didn't 
directly say there's no God or any such thing, but he just came up. He had a good imagination. Very good imagination. You know, if it, if it had come maybe a little bit more than a hundred years later, he could have been a good movie director or something like that. Could have made up some good storylines for films. So, he's, you know the story, he saw some big turtles and he thought, well, they must have evolved. So he had a good imagination. He didn't directly say there's no God or no purpose in life, but it came, his theory implied that, that everything has simply come about by chance. Chance means there's no God. There's no controller. This is a demoniac theory. That is described by Krishna in Bhagavad Gita. Pravritting Chandra. No, what is that verse? Jagadahur Anishwaram. Those who are demoniac say that there's no God, there's no controller, there's no absolute truth, there's no actual basis of anything. Everything just is. It just is. You don't have to inquire into the basis of everything because it just is. Sometimes we ask people that if you give them the philosophical question, then why does everything exist? And they'll just say, well, it just is, as if that's a profound answer. It's not very intelligent. It's not even very scientific. Just like if you ask that, uh, you know, why, why does rain fall from the sky? It just does. You can go in your science exam and say that, well, so many questions are there. How do crystals form? And you can answer, they just do. It's true, but you won't pass your exam. You're supposed to go deeper than that. So if you say, well, why does the, how does the world exist? Well, it just does. It's uh, not very intelligent, not very deep. So, Darwin, he had this idea, it was actually atheistic and demoniac idea, that everything just came by chance, it just did. One thing evolved into something else, how just, it just did, just by chance. Saying by chance actually means not giving any reason at all. You can also say that, how do... How do crystals form in a saturated solution? By chance. Zero. Zero marks. You're supposed to give a better answer than that. So Darwin had his imaginative theory. We can credit him with good imagination. Uh, Freud, his his explanation of religion, he's also very very creative imagination, Sigmund Freud. He said that, see, originally there must have, man must have been hunting in tribes, right? Isn't that right? According to Darwin's theory, should have, man should have been hunting in tribes. Oh, we don't accept this garbage idea. 
I'm just saying what Freud said, just to show you what nonsense it is. This idea that everything came by chance, and we don't accept such a ridiculous idea. But anyway, Freud does, because he's a fool, intelligent, but foolish. So, uh, he said originally man must have been hunting in tribes, and then the leader of the tribe would have been the, he would have controlled all the women, and he'd be the strongest man. So he had many sons, and they were all envious of him because he was controlling everyone else, and they were afraid of him. So that has remained in our consciousness. Now we would say in our, nowadays we would say in our genetic code, so that we think of God as the Father who we fear, because in Christianity that's how they think of God. Our Father in heart, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Please don't send us to hell. Because that's how Christian preaching goes on. You have to fear God. Otherwise, Christ will, or God will burn you in hell forever. If you don't become a Christian. So this was his analysis of why people believe in God. Of course, it would only be good for Christians because we have Hindu or Vedic concepts of God which are completely different. So, but of course, I guess he thought that European man is more evolved than Indian man. So he gave an explanation of, of why European men believe in God. So you can see what a silly idea it is. For the, for, for in the beginning, there's absolutely no evidence whatsoever that man has evolved from monkeys. It's just a, it's, it's a theory which people are attached to as a kind of dogma. And then to build another theory on top of that and to say that, you see, because people have a psychological weakness, they believe in God. Because they can't face up to the reality that you're actually... Life is just a combination of chemicals. Therefore, they have to. Therefore, they have to believe in God. That's another. This Freud's a psychological crutch. But again, they're saying reality means that life has simply evolved from chemicals. Therefore, life is simply dependent upon chemicals. But it's also there's no evidence whatsoever. And rather, if we examine reality, we can see that actually life is a principle that we place much more emphasis on than we do chemicals. You see so many uh, Americans got killed in the World Trade Center and Pentagon attacks. But in the schools, they're teaching that the body is simply composed of chemicals. So then why are they so upset? There, some, there were some chemicals and they formed into a body and then some of them were in the World Trade Center and then some other chemicals in the form of, a, of an airplane came and there was a chemical transformation. Chemical transformation means the uh, body turned into smoke. It's another chemical transformation. If we, if we uh, hear that you know, some chemical factory blew up and so 
so many chemicals got destroyed. What should we do? Should we have a memorial service? Oh, poor chemicals. <laughs> so why are they lamenting? They're teaching in the school that it's only chemicals. And why are you lamenting for chemicals? And why are you so concerned to drop more chemicals on other chemical formations in Afghanistan? Why? Because you want to, you have a feeling, I want to kill those people. Why? It's only chemicals. Why are you making such a big fuss? She, up, again, better, again. So, the, uh, this modern atheistic civilization in which they're saying that, you know, don't think too much about the purpose of life. They don't say that, but it's basically implied in modern civilization that, you know, don't think too much. Think, yes, you think. You can think how to make computer programs and engineering projects, that kind of thinking. But philosophical thinking, it's practically taboo. It's not taught in the schools. Even there's a philosophical department in the university which practically no one attends because you don't get any money out of philosophy and the purpose of life is to make money. But they also, they don't, it's not that they're interested in the philosophy of life, they just study it. Like some people study <coughs> engineering and some people study mathematics and some people study medicine and some people study philosophy. But they're not serious about it. In the Krishna conscious movement we have a completely different outlook. That understanding the purpose of life is the purpose of life. We have to understand the purpose. Without understanding the purpose of life, then practically we are just living like chemicals, like dead bodies. But we're not. We're more. We have emotions. We have feelings. We have ambitions. We have desires. We feel happiness and distress. Chemicals don't do that. We have needs. Of course, in modern society, they're trying to fulfill our needs. What are the needs? Indira Gandhi, is it? Roti Kapra Makan. These are the needs. We all need. Roti Kapra Makan. But you need more. There are so many people, they have uh, Roti so many kapras, so many saris, and so many shirts, pants, and so many pairs of shoes, more than one house, more than one car, and they're still not satisfied. That's very common. We see that. Especially in the Western countries, where people have not only enough of these things, but more than they need for their basic maintenance and survival. And we see that in the middle class in India today also. Everyone has a more than they need for their survival. Everyone has. If you just need roti, kapra, makan, but even nowadays that's not enough. It's roti, kapra, makan, TV, mixi, and so many things. Fan. These are considered necessities. BCR. 
CD player. All these things you have to have. But people are not satisfied, even with all these things. So this suggests, if we would stop to think about it, that the purpose of life is more than simply getting material possessions. That is the unwritten, unspoken purpose of modern life. They're simply promoting, get more, get more, get more. But they're not happy. Everyone always thinks, if I get more money and more material possessions, then I'll be more happy. But it's not true. Of course, if people are very poor, then uh, certainly they'll feel the need, you know, we need some more money. But once you have a certain amount, then getting more doesn't, it doesn't even influence your way of life very much. And we practically see in in the course of preaching Krishna consciousness in different places, we see people, we meet and mix with some people who are very poor, and we meet and mix with people who are very rich, and we meet with people in between. And we don't find that the very rich people are very happy. Not true at all. They're usually very proud, but they're not very happy. So, Krishna Conscious Movement wants to inform everybody what actually everybody knows in their subconsciousness. But they don't like to think about it because maybe it's just too big a question for most people to think about. That there is more to life simply than getting money, living like everybody else does. We have to really think. Thinking means more than just training your mind to get a university degree and get some money, really thinking philosophically. Like I say, philosophy in the modern age is the most important subject. When I say subject, it's not really like a subject at school. The most important point of our lives. They've trivialized it as if it's something unimportant. They'll say a cricket match is very important or a beauty show is very important, or an election is very important, but to consider what is the purpose of life. As if it's painful. People don't want to think about it. But we should consider. We should consider. Who are we? Where did we come from? Where are we going? In modern society, people are very much under what is called the bodily concept of life. They're thinking, I am the body. If we ask, where, who am I? They'll say, well, you know, I'm a university student. Well, how long are you going to be a university student? For another two years. And then you're going to be something else? Yeah, then I'll get a job. But then who are you? These are various conditions of life that you go through, but who are you? If you say, I'm a university student, that's not your permanent identity. Or you could say, well, I'm an Indian, that's my permanent identity. But that's also not permanent. Because you have to leave the body. After you leave the body, then you won't be Indian anymore. That body won't be there anymore. 
So who are you? What is the purpose of life? Where did you come from? So, well, I don't exactly remember, but I guess I came from my mother's womb. Most people do. <laughs> so we're told. But then, uh, where were you before that? You continue to live. From the books of spiritual knowledge, we get the information that we continue to live after the body ceases to exist. And that we did exist before the body came into existence, present body came into existence. That is why in any language of the world, when someone dies, they say, he has gone away. Why is that? If he was only in one language, or two languages, you could say it's just some kind of linguistic device, some kind of idiom. But in every language of the world, for someone, when they die, they say he has gone away. Every language in the world. Of course, there may be some, there are some languages in Africa where they only have 300 words. You know, like kill and a few words like that. Very, practically savages. So maybe they don't have something. They probably have Coca-Cola in their language. 301. But, uh, practically in every language of the world, when someone dies, he has gone away. Chalega. How do you say in Gujarati? Chalagu. Chalagu. I'm sorry. I never learned Gujarati. Gone away. Gone away. Chalega. Chalega in Bengali. Then who or what has gone away? And then why are you lamenting? You say, oh, my father died. It's only chemicals. <laughs> That's what you're taught. Then why should you lament? Or someone may be called to court and, you know, why did you chop off your brother's head with an axe? Only chemicals. Actually, according to what we're taught in school, there should be no crime for murder. Shouldn't be a crime. It's, you know, it's just some chemicals. Maybe uh, you could say, well, this this body belonged to the parents, so it might be something like destroying their car or something like that. If it's only chemicals, then what's wrong? Shoot someone dead. So what? Why do they take it so seriously? Practically we know that there is the soul which is separate from the body. It's inherent in every language. And it's inherent in our feelings and emotions towards others. And it's inherent in our desire to survive. If we're only chemicals, then why should we care if this body which is only chemicals dies? That Darwin's theory is based on the survival of the fittest. But why should just a group of chemicals desire to survive? We don't see, if I bring a hammer to smash this, we don't see that the, that this will protest. Or even something, even if you have a computer which is very complex, computers, they speak and they give messages and say, how are you feeling? It's about time you took a, a break. You know, they have software programs that speak like this. 
And they tell you jokes every so often because it's so boring working at your job. So every so often they tell a joke and they laugh with him. So if you bring a, a, a hammer to smash the computer, do you think the computer's going to say, hey, don't do that. Don't hurt me. No? So practically, by the way we behave with each other, and by our own emotions, we can understand that we are more than the body. We are a living being, which is in any language called the soul, or atma. There is something more to life than simply the body. We should try to understand what that is. We're looking for happiness. But we find that people are not happy with any amount of material objects. Or, even if they think they're happy, they feel, yes, I'm very happy, I've got lots of money, and I'm enjoying myself, but it's all temporary. You may have lots of money and thinking, be thinking, well, I'm having a great time, life is wonderful, but any time your money can all be taken away, or if you have acquired the money illegally, like so many, Harshad Mehta, but he had so much money and then he was stuck in prison for so long. So uh, you have to die, or someone may steal your money, or kill you for your money. So you may be feeling I'm very happy, but it's not going to last. Or even if you you still you have the money, but then in old age, how are you going to enjoy it? And you can't walk, you can't digest, you can't hear anything. Then you can spend lakhs of rupees going to so many hospitals, but they won't help you. So we should consider that actually no material means can make us happy. And even if we think I'm happy with so many material facilities, we have so many plans, I will do my higher education in America, then I'll be able to look after myself, I'll have lots of money, I'll come back to India, and then everyone will look at me, oh, he's from America, oh, oh. And have lots of prestige. Although in America, even if even if you're earning hundred thousand dollars a month, if you're in India and you're still a second class citizen, because you're not white, you have to get born again in another body and become a real American and sweep the streets, and then you can be considered a real American. So there's always some discipline. Anyway, the point is that there's nothing in this material world will, which can make us truly satisfied or happy. So really, we should consider what is the purpose of life? Why are we going to simply follow the rest, just do what everyone else does? Why should we succumb to that social pressure? That, well, everyone else works hard and gets lots of money, so you should too. Why? Are they happy? No, but... They're unhappy like that. Why shouldn't you be also? Oh, yeah, they are happy. It doesn't matter if you know they have so many problems. That's natural, they say. Well, that's normal. Really? It's natural and normal to be discontented. 
to have so many anxieties as natural, as normal. We should consider more deeply what actually is the purpose of life. Why should, this question, why? So many things, you know, they'll teach in the school that what date there is some, in history they'll teach you so many dates and the general knowledge you're supposed to learn who the who the latest Miss World is and you have to learn who the top batsman in the world is and all these things you have to learn. So many useless things. But why? Why are we in this material world? Why are we suffering in so many ways? Why do we have to struggle so much anyway? So much struggle for roti, kapra, makan, TV, VCR, air conditioner, so much struggle. And at the end, simply smashan yatra. That's all. Why? Why? Why aren't they teaching this in the school? They're not teaching because they want to keep you just as a good moral fool. You go along with everyone else. Just be like everyone else. But why? We should consider what actually is the purpose of life. I was in a room once with Srila Prabhupada when he was being interviewed. This interview comes in this book, The Science of Self-Realization. It's Mike Robinson from the London Broadcasting Corporation, some local radio company. Asked Prabhupada this question. What is the purpose of life? It's a good question. Most people ask stupid questions, like, why do you have a bald head? They'd come to Prabhupada, a great Acharya, and ask, why do you have a bald head? One, uh, one young woman journalist in England also asked Prabhupada that question. She had a miniskirt. You know this miniskirt? Prabhupada said, why do you have bald legs? He gave her another question back. It was cold in England. He said, it's better to have a cool head than cold legs. <laughs> so anyway, he asked this question, what is the purpose of life? And I was very surprised by Prabhupada's answer. Prabhupada said, the purpose of life is to enjoy. <laughs> I was surprised. And then he quoted from Vedanta Sutra. Ananda Because we are spiritual beings, we are by nature full of joy, but in this material world it is full of suffering, so we cannot be happy in this place. Therefore we have to find out that place and that position by which we can actually be happy. Prabhupada explained like that. So we say the same thing, come to Krishna consciousness and be happy. But not the happiness of fools. Foolish happiness means to try to enjoy life through the senses. Eating, sleeping, mating, fighting, trying to enjoy through the senses. But if we consider the animals are doing this better than we are doing. They have better facilities. The cow is eating all day. You want to eat? Now is the eating season. What is that, jalebi and what's that other one? Pahra. <laughs> I'm going to Surat tomorrow. Let's see. 
Gujarat is the capital of eating for all of India and Surat is the what do they say? Eat in Surat and die in Kashi. Something like that. Enjoy all your life and then go to Kashi and get liberation. Something like that. So they've invented the most. They have, what is that sweet? It's completely, it's made with moa and then they cover that with ghee. And then it's really rich, isn't it? So enjoy. Eating. But how many can you eat? What's it called? Gari. 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 How many can you enjoy? You can eat more. Four or five. If I gave you fifty and you, I said you eat them all. By the time you got up to fifteen or so, would it be enjoyable to eat? Twenty, twenty-five, thirty. You'd be begging, please, please don't give me any more. And even to eat, we have to work to get money to eat. The pig doesn't work hard. Pig has a very relaxed life. No anxiety. That's why he's fat. No anxiety. He gets fresh, hot, flavorsome food every morning. Very strong flavor. Doesn't have to work. So eating, sleeping well. You can sleep on a very nice bed. In the Western countries, they have some beds. I think they charge like a hundred thousand dollars or something for some beds. They're like, I don't know what they something kind of scientifically controlled, so it's the right temperature. <coughs> so many things I don't know. Some kind of cheating. People have too much money. They don't. Some people they don't know what to do with it. But when you're asleep, uh, dogs asleep. It's the same sleeping. It's the same sensation. Or lack of sensation. So, how are you more advanced than the dog in sleeping? How are you more advanced than the pig in eating? And as far as sex life is concerned, well, that also, every species of life is there. So, human life is meant for more than simply trying to get sense gratification, which is available in every species of life. We may think I'm eating very nice food, but the pig is also enjoying what he considers to be very nice food. We don't think his food is very nice, but he thinks it is. And even if we think, let me enjoy, let me enjoy, we have limited capacity to do so. And to enjoy, we have to accept so much suffering, just like I'm saying. You have to get some money. To get money, you have to work hard. And then even people who have money, they're not happy. So, anyone who is somewhat introspective, which again, the modern society does not encourage introspection. It simply encourages dance like a fool. But if we're at all introspective, then we must think that there's, there must be more to life than simply eating, working, 
getting money. This is intelligence, things like that. This is actual, actual intelligence. As long as we're thinking, as long as we're not thinking about this, we're not actually intelligent. So real intelligence begins atato brahma jignasa in the language of the Vedas. Now we should inquire into the absolute truth. We should at least inquire into this question, who really am I? We should find that out. Again, if we say, well, I'm Indian. Well, how long are you Indian for? Only the body is Indian. Are you the body or are you something else? With a little bit of analysis, we can understand it. I'm not the body. I'm more than the body. The body is only chemical, but I... I'm a conscious being. I have emotions, feelings, needs, desires, ambitions, hopes. This is more than any combination of chemicals can have. So we can understand that we are living beings separate from the body. We are spirit souls. So we should pursue that. That how can I actually be happy? As long as I'm thinking I'm this body, then we're in a mistaken situation, a mistake. And we see that the whole modern civilization is based on this mistake, and therefore, despite their much lauded progress, they praise themselves. You see, we have so much progress. We're so wonderful. We send men to the moon, and so many wonderful things we have done for the benefit of the whole humankind. that people are miserable. If we actually look around and see what is the fact, people are miserable. They're leading a miserable life. People are not at all contented or satisfied or simply going on with life. Leading a very foolish life and not at all happy. So modern society is going on under what in Bhagavad Gita is described as the mode of passion or Rajagun, Rajagun and Tamagun, which do not foster inquiry into the purpose of life. Rajagun means the mode of passion in which people are very active to try to acquire objects for sense gratification. The mode of ignorance means, as it suggests, simply ignorance. Simply ignorant of any purpose of life. The Bhagavad Gita recommends that we come to Sattvagun, or the platform of goodness, in which Sattvat Sanjayate Jnanam, in the mode of goodness, actual knowledge develops. The mode of goodness means to be peaceful, introspective, and thoughtful about the purpose of life. Now, how are we to understand what the purpose of life is. This much we can understand even by a little, as I say, by a little intelligent introspection. We don't, of course, the Bhagavad Gita gives us knowledge about the soul, but even without studying the Bhagavad Gita, we can have some primary indication just by analyzing ourselves that life, there's more to life simply than eat, sleep, drink, be merry and enjoy, for tomorrow we shall all be dead. There must be more to it than that. Because Bhagavad Gita gives us clear direction. But we can get some basic idea.
that there must be more to life simply than working hard and so-called enjoying and dying. Must be more. What is that more? Then we have to take direction from scriptural sources. Scripture, Shastra means that knowledge which is coming from a higher platform. Knowledge means, again, Vedic knowledge or scriptural knowledge, it actually means knowledge. What is called knowledge, what we study in the universities, it means what people consider to be knowledge, but it's always subject to change. So it means what they think is correct, but it may not actually be correct. And in many cases it may be wrong. Just like we're saying, this this whole uh, modern society is based on theories developed from Darwin's, Freud's and other speculators' imaginations. But it's not knowledge. And uh, anything, their so-called scientific facts are always subject to revision. And whatever techniques they have for just like they may have some medical techniques for performing surgery, that's also subject to change. Even history, we learn this happened, this happened, this happened. But later on, someone else will come along and say, no, I got some new evidence that didn't actually happen like that. It's different. History is also completely biased. In Bangladesh, they say that in 1971, the Joy Bangla, the, the Bangladeshi liberation forces, so-called, they, they forced the, the Pakistani army to surrender, which isn't true. So we're told. Because it was the Indian, they surrendered to the Indian army, they refused. They said, we don't, we don't mind surrendering, but not to the Bangladeshis, we'll surrender to the Indians. So, but they, they changed the history. In the, in the Bangladesh, they teach that in 1971, this country came into existence when the Pakistani army surrendered to the Bengali Liberation Forces, which is outside of Bangladesh. It's accepted as a lie. But it's their national history. So you don't know what you're being taught in the history, in the geography, anything, whether it's actually true or not. But Vedic knowledge means that which is not subject to human prejudice or human mistakes or cheating or imperfection. Vedic knowledge means that which is actually knowledge. Vedic knowledge means it is knowledge. Whereas what, what we are told is knowledge in this material world, it, it means what some people think is right. And other people may think it's wrong. No one can actually say because on the material platform we cannot get perfect knowledge. But perfect knowledge is given in Shastra. That we have to accept as an axiom. Otherwise we can't go higher. You may say, well, why should I accept that as perfect knowledge? But actually we have to if we want to acquire spiritual knowledge. First of all, if we want to approach it in a, in a logical manner, we can understand that there must be some kind of purpose to life. People say there's no purpose to life, but 
there must be some purpose. If we even logically we can understand, there's so much order in the universe. Why? Why? What are we studying? We're studying different fields of knowledge in schools and universities. That means there's order. There can't be any subject unless there's order within the universe. So, if there's order, there must be some purpose. Anything that any machine that's invented, it has some purpose, isn't it? If you get some machine and there are so many wheels moving and pulleys and maybe some transistors and this and that, and someone comes and says, Oh, what's that machine you invented? You say, Well, you give it some name. It's a, I don't know. Think up some name. It's a new machine. Okay, what does it do? What is its purpose? It doesn't do anything. It's just a machine. That's all. You see, you, you, you switch the button, and then all the wheels start moving, and then the doors open and close, and the lights start flashing. It's a new machine. I invented it. But what does it do? It doesn't do anything. Just that's all. It just the wheels move and the lights flash and the doors open and close, and it's a new machine. I invented it. It has no purpose. No. Everything is invented. It has some purpose. See, this is designed like this. Lotus is designed like this, so you can drink water out of it. This bookstand is designed like this, so you can put a book on it. The table is designed like it has a specific purpose. Everywhere we see purpose. So to say there is no purpose in existence is foolish. Everything we see that has any design or intelligence, any order, means it has a purpose. If we see the whole universe, it's so ordered, the study of science is only to study the order within the universe. And if we say there's no ultimate purpose, then that is foolishness. Questions will come after us. Questions after us. So if we say that we see so much order, and ultimately we say there's no purpose, then that is simply foolishness. Maybe we can't understand what the purpose is, but that's why we have to go to a higher source. Just like if you see some machine and you don't understand what the purpose is, then you have to ask someone who knows. It may be beyond your ability to understand. If it's a very sophisticated machine, it may be, be it may be beyond your purpose, it may be on beyond your level of education to understand actually what it does. If you see some device, for instance, in a in a chemical factory, you may not understand exactly what it's doing because you, it's a whole complex science, and to understand what's going on, you'd have to be educated in chemical engineering to understand. But then you don't say, well. Well, I don't understand, therefore it's all meaningless. Because I don't understand, therefore no one understands. That's actually the underlying presumption in modern so-called intellectual circles. We cannot understand the purpose of life, therefore there is no purpose of life. It's foolishness to think like that. Because we can't find out the purpose of life simply by studying by our scientific process, therefore we conclude that there is no purpose of life. That is foolishness. 
That is foolish pride. That I won't admit that there is any higher purpose because I can't understand it. That is foolish pride. So logically we can accept that there must be a purpose of life. And then when we find out that we can't find it out simply by our own endeavor. When we consider that after all, we are very tiny living beings in a very vast universe and we can't simply understand everything by our own endeavor. Then becoming a little humble, we may say, accept spiritual knowledge from a higher source. That is called scripture. Now, undoubtedly, there have been, there are, and there will be many people misrepresenting spiritual knowledge. There are many cheaters in the names of gurus and fakirs and some priests and purohits and so on. But, that doesn't mean that because of that all religion is simply cheating. Just like there may be some doctors who are quacks, as we say. You know that word quack? It means someone who he has no training as a doctor, but he says, I'm a doctor here, do this. And, but he's not actually trained. And you find out after some time, he's a cheater. He's presenting himself as a doctor, but actually doesn't know what he's doing. He's cheating. When you find that all his patients are dying, then maybe check, is he really a doctor? So in the same way, there may be many cheaters in the name of spiritual life or spiritual teachers, but that doesn't mean that because of that, that there's no religion, there's no purpose to life. Rather, one has to look and see, is there a bona fide science of spiritual knowledge? And actually there is. We can confidently say that there is a bona fide science of spiritual knowledge which teaches us what is the purpose of life? We see the vast and complex universe. We see ourselves as tiny living beings within it. We want to know, who are we? What are we doing here? What is the purpose of life? We can take direction from higher sources who know. That particularly is Bhagavad Gita, which teaches us Krishna in Bhagavad Gita teaches us from the very beginning. He tells Arjuna what is his problem? Why is he suffering in this material world? Because he identifies himself with the body which he is not. He is an eternal, living, spiritual being who is meant to be eternally happy, but who cannot be happy as long as he's on the material platform. As long as we are thinking, I will be happy by making this body comfortable then we cannot be happy, because this body will never be comfortable. Because this material world by nature is full of suffering. This Krishna points out in Bhagavad Gita. It's not actually so difficult to understand. It doesn't require very deep, mystical intelligence to understand that this material world is full of suffering. Everything is temporary here. There's no actual happiness. Everyone is struggling, but that there is happiness. But for that, we have to come to the spiritual dimension. 
We have to understand I'm not the body, the body is temporary, but I am eternal. Therefore, I have to come to the eternal platform. I have to act on the eternal platform. Then I can get free from material concepts. I can get free from material existence. I can go to the spiritual world. That also Krishna describes in Bhagavad Gita. So the purpose of life is to be happy. But not as a fool. Because actually a fool's happiness is no real happiness. Just like you see a madman. He may seem very happy, but it's deranged happiness. He may be stuck in a mental hospital for his foolishness, and he may be thinking, I'm very happy, I'm very happy. But he's, it's, it's a perverted, mentally distraught kind of happiness. There's one story, it's a joke, it may be true, that Pandit Nehru, he went to visit mental hospital. So, one of the people in there, they asked him, who are you? He said, well, actually, I'm Pandit Nehru, I'm the Prime Minister. And he said, don't say that. I said that and they put me inside here. <laughs> So he may be thinking, I'm very happy, I'm, I'm the President, I'm Prime Minister of India. But because he's claiming to be something he's not, he's subject to a condition which he doesn't like, namely being stuck in the mental hospital. So that is our position, we're claiming to be something that we are not. This is all Krishna explains in Bhagavad Gita. That we are claiming that, yes, I am the controller. I, I don't need any God. I'm the enjoyer. So we come to the mental hospital. This is a big open mental hospital called the material world. And sometimes we are claiming I am Indra, king of heaven. Sometimes I'm claiming I'm a young, progressive, ambitious Gujarati student, I'm going to go to America and if Bin Laden doesn't send his planes and blow me up, I'll earn lots of money there. Or sometimes we're claiming, I mean, when we're in the body of a dog, I'm a dog, chase the other dogs away. Someone threw a chapati, chase them away and I will enjoy it. And then his tail is coming. He's happy. I'm enjoying the chapati. But it is the happiness of a madman in a mental hospital. He's actually suffering. We are suffering in this material world. We are suffering birth, death, old age, disease, anxieties, heat, cold, hunger, thirst. In so many ways we are suffering. But just like the dog, he's just a street dog. People throw stones at him. He's freezing in the night in the winter. Someone throws him a chapati. Oh, now I'm very happy. So in the same way, we're struggling and suffering in this material world. And we get a little money on. And then again, Maya is beating us. So Krishna is pointing out, and it's not difficult to understand. Everyone can understand. Actually, there's no happiness in this material world, in this material existence. But there is happiness. You have to know where to find it. 
That is the purpose of life. To come to our natural position. And even in this material world, we said that actually the highest happiness is when you give yourself to others and don't expect anything. Of course, in modern life, that's not very much promoted. Modern life is we're promoting a very selfish concept of life. Just live for yourself. Do everything for yourself. That's very much apparent in the Western countries. Still in India, there's some kind of family life. In the Western countries, it's every man for himself and every woman for herself also. There's no family life. But actually, we learn from Gita and from the Vedic literatures that real happiness, that the happiness that we're looking for comes from giving ourselves to Krishna, who is the reservoir of all happiness. We have this word God in English, God. It's a vague term. Krishna is the name of God. And Krishna is more than what is generally considered God. When we say God, we think of some maybe person or thing or power. We pray to and we get more money. Something like that. Or when we're feeling too much anxiety, then we think about God and then we feel peaceful. Krishna is the supreme controller. He is God. But the function of God is not simply as a cosmic dispenser. You want money? Okay. Need good health? Okay. This one's sinful? Smash him on the head. <laughs> God is more than that. God is our best friend. Suharidam Sarava Bhutana, Krishna says in Bhagavad He is the best friend of everyone. Krishna is always happy. We don't see Krishna in anxiety, thinking how he's going to pay his taxes or any such thing. Krishna is always happy and he wants everyone to be happy. He himself is the reservoir of all pleasure, spiritual pleasure. And through Bhagavad Gita, he's inviting everyone to come. Come, be happy with me. There are some conditions. The condition is we have to give up our own selfishness and our own diseased condition of thinking, I don't need any God. I myself am God. I'm the controller. I am happy. Then why should I bother with any God? Surrender is required. There is some initial condition that we have to give, we have to live on his terms. But then it's not like working under some dictator. Because after all, God is our best well-wisher, best friend. He has nothing to gain from us. Neither does he take pleasure in exploiting us. But simply he wishes the best for us. But we have to understand what that is. From Bhagavad Gita we understand that our real happiness is simply to accept Krishna and not to 
selfishly try to be happy in this material world. Not to try to be happy through the body, which is not possible anyway. But to understand Krishna, to act for Krishna's pleasure. And if we act for Krishna's pleasure, then we ourselves automatically we become very happy. Not only do we become happy, but by acting for Krishna's pleasure, then we perform the highest welfare activities for all other living beings also. Taking to Krishna conscious does not make us selfish. It does not, as some people think, means that, that we turn our backs on the world, but rather we open up to everyone in the world and try to give them this knowledge of Krishna consciousness also. So, succinctly, the purpose of life, as understood from the Vedic literatures, which means knowledge from the higher source, from the highest source, from Krishna, from the source of everything. The purpose of life is to come to the platform of happiness that is eternal, that continues to exist even after the body falls down. To come to the platform where there is no repeated birth and death to suffer in this material world. To come to the platform of eternal, happy life with Krishna. This is the purpose of life, as given in Bhagavad Gita, as accepted by all great experts of spiritual knowledge. It's not that I'm just sitting here today and speaking extemporaneously, whatever nonsense comes in my head. But rather, what I'm speaking, that is the same 